This week on Three Sides of the Coin, yes, Mark does go major fanboy. We are joined by Roger Earl from the band Fog Hat. Wow. Great stories about Fog Hat, some kiss discussions, but you got to watch Mark. I mean, he's just all giggles and smiles. He's like a schoolgirl. It's true. It's true. Sundial goes to news. Three Sides of the Coin. Talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. we got to make this quick because, as you know, we're recording this intro. At the end of the show, Mark's gotten his text message saying his meatloaf is waiting for him. It's a true story. So we got to get him out of here. So no comments, although there's been some amazing comments that you have been leaving about opening the the boxes and everybody's like, keep doing it. Keep opening boxes. I love these stories. Um, I've gotten some answers, figured out what that, that uh, hard rock cafe bag was the, that notepad that I was wondering if it was official from Australia. It is from Australia. It is an official release from Hmm. Australia. Um, But Write me this a is... note with it and send me something. No. It makes this... me press really hard on the pages. This week's guest is another pure Mark fan boy moment. I this mean, yes, shit. you can just see it in his face. There was almost pure Guilty. panic at the beginning when his his Root? Internet connection and router was not working, God, and we were starting to show it on your phone, so we could have seen all that leading up to the all the chaos leading up to it. Because you were in a panic, my friend. He was in a panic, and I knew he was panicking. As we talk about with our guest, we are joined by none other than legendary drummer Roger Earl from the band Fog Hat. And before everybody goes, what the fuck's this got to do with Kiss? We do talk about Kiss. Because Foghat Foghat did some shows with Kiss back in the 70s, and Roger even brings it up. Um, Incredible stories. Great memory. Going deep into drumming, talking about songs. I mean, all because of fanboy Mark here. He's... He was pulling up every album and showing Roger every album. We see fanboy come out. Yes. Um, This is an absolute fun Fun interview with Roger from Fog at Let It Roll, and we'll see you at the end. The show. Visit threesidesofthecoin.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your. Three Sides of the Coin. I am so honored to welcome Roger Earl from Fog Hat. Now, before we get into I just got to mention real quick Mark is. Here, sort of, we think. but he has no video, he has no audio, and he's probably having a heart attack knowing he cannot see or talk to Roger well, Earl know, right no video now. And no talking for a drummer is like, and no sound. It must be awful for him. He's in, what's the word, purgatory. He's in purgatory. He's in purgatory. In purgatory. Oh, God. <laughs> That is horrible. Well, he just he just quit his iPad, so hopefully he's restarting and he'll show up. Um, but yes, Roger, thank 
I'm a, t- I'm a total Luddite. The only reason I'm here is because Linda knows what to do and Rose is pretty good at it too. And the band I play in, they're all really bright. I'm a Luddite. I bang the drum and say things like, that's really good or let's not do that one, let's do this one. That's about it. No, I do a little bit more than that. <laughs> well, like, like, like I said before we hit the record button, your job, Roger, is to make great music. That's I it. I try. Um, I, I'm really happy with the new album. I really am. Um, we did we probably we probably got like ten or twelve other songs that we'd worked on and uh, you know tried to see. It, it's when we record. It's not like we sit down and do an album. We do it over a period of years. It's not like in the old days. You get uh, four weeks or five weeks. You do an album, you go in the studio, and that's it. And uh, we uh, we record o- over the period of time. Uh, we have little uh, sessions here and there. Mainly, mostly done January, February, March, when we go down to our studio down in Florida in Deland, and we start deciding. We always add like five or six songs to the set. We change the set around it every year, except for another five or six songs that are always in the set. <laughs> but um, we just change it around, and then we record, we play, uh, and then at some time or another, we go, maybe we should put a record out. Then we start seeing what we've done, and then everybody pulls their ideas, and we have a great time. Well, and 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 it looks like Mark might be here. We had his video for a moment. I think he's got audio. He's we'll see if he shows up. But but you you know Roger you you made a statement Mark can you hear us? I've been able to hear you the entire time. Oh okay well so I don't know real what quick the fuck Mark that was I don't know what, what oh look at you look what the shirt came up in rotation Roger a frog <laughs> t-shirt <laughs> what a hero He's got- oh my god let me tell you this I was sweating oh, see no. there you go. I've got my I'm the left for dead cover. Uh, honestly, that is that is my favorite studio album by you guys. Um, and that's something Here that you actually have in common with Kiss. And that's something I do want to talk about at some point here in the interview. Well, we we're we're, we're just getting started here, Mark. And it's so. like a bull in a china shop. And, oh. and 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 I thought, Roger, before we let Mark talk. I'll say something and Tommy will say something because when Mark gets going, we're done. He's he we're the rest of us are done. Mark is going to talk forever to you about drumming and fog. <laughs> yes, um, but Roger, you 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 brought you brought up you know an an interesting point where you said you know things have changed. You don't go into the studio for four or five weeks anymore. Um, and and honestly, you know, with the history that Fogat has have has. You have seen so much change in this music industry. To the, you know, it's it's completely different than the day you guys released your first album. Yeah. How is that for you to watch that change and deal with that change? Well, um, let me let me kind of starts at the beginning. We're we're um, doing a documentary uh, on Foghat. We, this has been ongoing for years and we're writing a book and uh, and we went to Boogie Hotel, which we uh, back in 1980, I think we started it here in Port Jefferson near where I live. And 
the one thing I remembered from that, we did like three or four albums there, was that if you're going to make any kind of noise and like be a band, you have to have a studio. You have to have somewhere you can go and work. And when Lonesome Dave died, I knew the one thing, if I was going to be able to keep a band together and a band that a band that was relevant, for want for a better word, we had to make records. We had to sort of let our fans and people know that, you know, we we still create music. We still make music. That's that's why we became musicians, because we had this passion for, for playing. And uh, fortunately, we've got some Brian Bassett, our lead and slide guitar player, who's uh, one of the best people I know, and I know two, and he's one of them. <laughs> He's absolutely brilliant. He's a guitar, a great guitar player. He's an engineer and and produces our stuff. So we we have someone. And the first record we did without Dave was uh, with uh, Charlie Hume singing. We we had a friend's huge warehouse down in um, Florida near Deland. Yeah, that one, Family Jewels. <laughs> and after that. Um, that venture, well, Bill Collins, whose studio it was, is still a good friends. But I knew we had to have somewhere. So then I started searching for a place. We found a, um, it was on 10 acres, had a huge, uh, like, six, eight, ten car garage with concrete floor and stuff. We were going to turn that into the studio. That didn't work out for various reasons, but we set up in the living room and Brian brought, uh, is uh, bored over and we had microphones and everything. We started playing in the living room and started recording. And it was like, hey, this is working. It's comfortable. You know, the kitchen's right there. Uh, no red lights. Uh, we've got four bedrooms so we can all stay there. And it's um, it's really, uh, it's a lot of fun where, where we are. There's no pressure. And um we come up with great ideas and we have fun there. So that's what making music should be. We get serious with it, but it's being the creative part is, uh, is a lot of fun. Do you, do you think that, you know, rec back in, back in the day, um, record labels were, were the driving force for putting all that pressure on you of deliver, deliver, deliver song, 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 go back, record again. You know, and and with that part of the puzzle removed from your career now, it frees you up to be the artist you truly can be. Well, back then it was different. You know, we had what a you know three hundred thousand dollar deal with like Bearsville Records for eight albums or something, and so there was one a year, and like it, we were the band was trying to make it so you did an album a year and then you put it out and then you uh, chased it around the country and played it. But it's changed since then. Um, uh, I guess, it, well, it's changed a lot for a lot of people. I mean, I don't know how bands even get started these days. You know, when I first started, it would, we'd rent, uh, you know, a, a room above a pub and like advertise that the band's playing there. You know, when I was like 16, 17 years old, now it's changed. Um, and the way you can record, I mean, a Neve board, where we had a Neve board in our studio in Port Jefferson in 1980, I think it, they, uh, they sold it for like, for like $2 million. 
I didn't get any of that, but that's all right. But now you can buy, you know, a computer, uh, you know, and a, a board, you know, maybe it was sort of three, four, five thousand dollars or whatever. Microphones are still expensive. And you do have to have the skill and knowledge and the ability to make music. But um, it's a lot easier and a lot cheaper to make music. Going out and playing and promoting it, that's a whole nother ball game. That part of the world is really, uh, I'm glad I don't have to negotiate that anymore. I have a couple of questions. I got to squeeze these in before Fanboy starts. When you sit behind your kit today and you're playing in front of an audience, what's different to you now than 20, 30 years ago? Um, well, I was younger. Uh, I was <laughs> full, of, full of beans. Um, actually, um, 1973, we did some live recordings at the, the, the warehouse in New Orleans. And Warner Brothers uh, sent us, and they're uh, mixed down onto two-track. There's nothing really you can do with them. And they sent us would send them to me to listen to and so i went through them as best i could we're talking about some serious youthful enthusiasm <laughs> songs were we sounded some on some songs we sounded like you know a bunch of young punks the, the songs were so fast uh, they might have been it might have been induced by something else i don't know i'm not going to go there but um some of the some of the tracks really Worked so I think Warner Brothers is going to be releasing that 1973 live at the warehouse. Ooh. Uh, other than some of the, you know, some of the recording was a bit weird. You know, there was something missing. The lead, lead guitar should have been turned up, or uh, the bass drums too loud, or uh, it, it. But there's songs, there's stuff on there that I didn't even remember playing. Like we would, we would jam for like 20 minutes and a three or four like blues songs would all sort of come together in this sort of big jam so it it was fun to listen to and i think you know if there's foghat fans out there they would like to get hold of it and it will be released i think just on vinyl but uh so it's changed you know i've changed i think i'm a uh you know um i can try I, I'm, I'm a lot more thoughtful about the grooves and where the tempo should be whether it's in the studio or whether it's live, whereas it used to be youthful enthusiasm. <laughs> but does it still feel the same when you're out there performing for people? Oh, I fucking love it. What are you kidding? Okay. Me? <laughs> but I mean, because the audiences have changed. That's yeah, why I guess they, I, I... They have, but um, I think because Fog has had so many releases, either in film, uh, car commercials, um, Hamburger commercials, uh, 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 Guitar Hero. I mean, we have a whole, uh, it's, you know, I guess from our era, they would be uh, 65, probably 50, 60, 65. We have a bunch of like young people coming, you know. People oh, yeah, I saw it. I, the first time I saw you, believe it or not, was at um, 
Moon Dance Jam probably about a decade ago, and then the Buck Hill concert series a few years ago. You always pack them in. I know you got younger fans. I guess I'm just wondering from someone like you who's been doing it for a long time if the audiences themselves have changed in their experience of the show. Because like so many people, you go to these shows now and they do this the whole time. They just hold their oh, phone up in front of their face, and it is. taking it is. in the music. That that is annoying. And um, I know a number of bands have like banned phones. I'm not into banning stuff. I think people should be able to do whatever they want when it comes to taking pictures, reading books, especially. Don't cut that out. Don't get me started on that one. People banning books. Oh, yeah. um, uh, now, generally, when we when we apply now, uh, yeah, of course, some people are going to film us with their cameras. I'm good with that. But most of the time, people have come there to hear what we're playing um you know yeah. people uh, uh, it's funny like when you know they get into the aisles and they want to dance especially in a, like a theater we do a number of theaters and then you've got the uh, people in there saying no you can't dance sit down it's sort of like back in 1950 yeah dance um no people come to see Foca and have a good time um and uh, any of the any of our fans that have been with us for a long time or still with us um, they're great. They're quite rabid. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. It, but are they, do you feel like your fans are more maybe understanding than some of say the kiss fans? And this is what I'm going to ask. I am going to see a bunch of shows here before this is over at the end of the year. I don't care who's in the band. I love the music. I love the experience. I would say that about a lot of bands. I was blown away, honestly, and I'm not saying it because you were here. I remember not knowing if you guys would be good or not at Moondance, and you stopped me in in your, my tracks, and I watched the whole set, and I was just like, wow, are these guys really good? Are there still some people who are like, well, God, Lonesome Dave's gone, so it's not Foghat anymore, and all that sort of nonsense? Uh, well, um, yeah, on like um, Facebook, some people will say it, but those people probably aren't going to go out anyway. They sound like, you know, miserable bastards. Yep. Uh, <laughs> people come to see Foghat to listen to the music. It's about the music. Um, I wish Dave was here. I'm sure Dave wishes he was here. Yeah. Dave loved to play. He would get up on stage and give it 110%. That's, that's why I love working with him and playing with him. He was great. Like, But it's the same with everybody in the band now. Scott Holt. Um, our main lead singer and he's a brilliant guitar player I mean he was with Buddy Guy for 10 years so you know he can play Rodney O'Quinn uh, our bass player took over from Craig McGregor and uh, Craig actually handpicked him I mean he's a great singer and a great bass player and Brian Bassett has been with us for 27 years now I mean he actually played and worked with Rob Price and of course with Dave a lot so you know, we have a band. We're a band in every sense of the word. Nobody moans. Everybody has a good time. Uh, I don't even have to insist on it anymore. <laughs> it's like... No, I love to hear that. And I'm glad to hear your conviction because the music needs to be played and heard. And there, you guys are a big part of the festival scene and, and all that sort of thing. And it's important that you're there representing. So, I, like I said, I was blown away at how good it was. And I've been a fan, obviously, since I was a kid because I've known the music. But... You know, to see you play now was like wow. You, there's you're not tired. Yeah, it's um, and every like I said, every year we try and add like 
four or five or six songs to the set. Well, we're playing actually three of the uh, the new record in the set now. So our set has gone right. up to an hour and 45 minutes. Um, a, a, a couple of venues, we have an issue. They say, well, you you were booked to do an hour and 15. And we said, well, can we do a half an hour more? They go, well, you want more money? No, 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 no. We're typical musicians. We do it for fucking free. <laughs> but um, no, it's, I have a blast. We have a blast. I mean, we do sometimes we have to do overnight drives, you know, because um, flying is sometimes it's impractical. You got to do two or three stops before you actually get to where you want to go. So yeah, yeah a three hundred mile or four or five hundred mile drive overnight, we do them from time to time because it's just not possible to fly to these places. Yeah. And the band, like uh, they say, well, I'll drive. No, no, let me drive. Uh, it's I. Uh, I played with some great players over the years, but this band, I'm having a blast with them. It, I've been, not that I was ever jaded, I don't think, because I've always loved playing, but um, I've certainly got a, a new lease on life with these guys. Um, it's, uh, I have a blast out there and we're a band. That's awesome. Great to hear. Well, Mark, let's let you step up to the microphone and take over, and you get to talk to Roger about yeah, uh, all of the questions only you know. Well, no, I, all kidding aside, I, I'm a huge influence on in my playing. Um, I remember learning double bass to Midnight Madness. <laughs> and, you know, it, let me tell you, that song even just so stands up today. I mean, that. The drumming in that song is in that whole album. That, that's something I want to touch on because, yeah. as you know, this is a Kiss themed podcast. Um, in my opinion, and I own the catalog, um, everything from the first record all the way to to the to the new one. Uh, Sonic, what is it? What's the new one called? Sonic Mojo. That's Sonic Mojo. Matter of fact, a uh, uh, great. Um, What's the song that has the Slim Harpo beginning? I really enjoyed that one. Right. Thank you. Thank you for noticing that. I'm a big driving, blues fan, drive, too. So. Drive, driving on. And, um, Kim Simmons sent, uh, you know, guitar player from yes. Savoy Brown. Savoy Brown. Brown. friends after we left uh, Savoy Brown. And he played on our previous studio album, Under the Influence. And I invited Kim to come down and play on it. He played on about four tracks with us. And after we'd finished it, we finished it down in Nashville with, with our producer. Uh, and afterwards, Kim said to me, I'd really like to write some songs for Fokker. I said, that will be great so long as you play on them. And he said, okay. Unfortunately, Kim passed away this past December. Uh, but he sent me these tracks about about three years, two and a half, three years ago, uh, with his vocal guitar, and I think to a click track or something. And uh, when we got around to doing it, you know, I wanted, I really wanted Kim play, to play on them. It would, it would have been a lot of fun and a real pleasure for all of us, but uh, that wasn't to be. So uh, we, he sent me four tracks. We did finish three. We kept one of them. Probably we'll do that at a later date. But it's. Um, Driving on, yeah, Slim Harpo. Uh, you know, obviously, it sounds uh, other people have likened it to uh, it sounds a little bit like ZZ Top or ZZ Top of the well, exactly, yep. 
and I remember uh, Scott and I would, when we were trying to figure out how to play this song and how to approach it, we, uh, it I think it was in unison. We said Slim Harpo, right? <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for spotting that. Another one, and, and again, the record's fresh, so I don't have the titles, but um, there's I one do. on there, and if I hear the title, on it's got a very Santana feel, too. Um, it's one of the first, I don't know what order you're, you have them, or if we got in the right order, okay. but there's there's one, um, and again, I don't have the the titles. One is a really cool Santana, which kind of, because that's what I like about the record. You know, it's just got the rock. It's got some great blues playing on it. And but it, it also, again, uh, the the one to me, it sounds like it's very Santana influenced. Um, would you, you want to take a stab on which one? Because if no, I hear the title about she's a little bit of everything. It's the first no, that's one. the that's the first song. I think uh, that's more of just a stand up rocker. Right. That, that's right. And there's uh, Mean Woman Blues, which is like I think, that, a... I, I think maybe that's. It's got really a really like a Latin feel to it. Yes, that's the I one. Think, that's the one. I think, and I think Brian like channeled uh, Carlos on that one, or tried yes. to as much as you can. And in fact, that was interesting because um, when that came up to do it, it's um, who was it written by? Uh, Claude Demetrius, I think. But um, I heard it with uh, Jerry Lee Lewis's first album, like nineteen fifty-eight or something. And uh, Scott and I were talking about it. I said, Look, we've got to try and find a way like, to do it differently. And Jerry Lee did different ly lyrics to the song, which uh, I copied down. And Scott got all the original lyrics. And um, we that was one of the songs that we actually played around with, trying to figure out what to do to it. Because I really love the song and the lyrics are great. And then we started like... I started playing like a jazz Latin beat. Yeah, you know, that's that's what I that's the that's the feel that I got. The rack tom, the that, yep. that 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 kind of thing, and then played on the floor toms. We put some percussion maracas on there, and a few other odds and ends that you can hear. Um, yeah, it was uh, making this record was like I said, is fun. There's even like a country feel on a couple of tunes. Mm -hmm. We did a Rodney that's what I liked. Style. It was a very diverse listen. Uh, the other one that really stuck out, it to me, it sounded like a Keith Richards song, a solo Keith Richards. It is dirty, is in the title, I think. Oh uh, yeah, um, that, that I think was that was a tribute to Rod Price. It's got Black yeah, because it does have some great Day, slide in. Black days and blue nights. Uh, Maybe that's it. Uh, all I remember is, is I was when I was listening. Well, God, this sounds like something Keith Richards would do. Uh, oh, because uh, it kind of kind of take it so hard sort of feel to it. I really and again, like I said, I don't know the title because I don't have the record of the oh, CD no, to sit and look at. Um, maybe that was uh, "Song for Life." That was uh, "I Don't Drink as Much as I Ought to." Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the one. It, it, that's uh, a, again, very, very, uh, very enjoyable um, stuff, and, and it was. I think it it was recorded very well. You know, um, it I'm sounds back. modern, but also has you know the foot back in in you know in what Foghat's all about. You know, uh, but Rod, Rodney Crowell is an incredible songwriter. We did one of his songs um, 
Ain't Living Long Like This on a previous Foghat album. And he, I believe this is a quote from Rodney Crowell, uh, that when he heard that Foghat did one of his songs, he said he wore it like a badge of honour. <laughs> nice. <laughs> right. And I actually got a chance to talk to him um, after we'd finished the record. Uh, our manager knows knew his previous manager, and she gave us his phone number, and I called him and left a message, and he called me back. And I told him that we'd uh, we got hold of one of his songs and thoroughly tore it apart. <laughs> <laughs> it's very different from his version, which had a, like a kind of a, you know, a country, like very slow three, four time. And you said Keith Richards. Well, that I'll take that as a compliment because mm-hmm. I think he's one of the best like rhythm guitar players that has ever come down the pipe. And in fact, I'm a Rolling Stone fan. I love rock and roll. Uh, I know it's only rock and roll, but I <laughs> like it. Yes, I do. I like it. <laughs> no more singing. Sorry about that. Yeah, let me let me ask you about my favorite studio album years. Okay, Stone. Matter of fact, you're wearing the shirt. So, um, yeah, right. You guys worked with Eddie Kramer on that. Now, Eddie was very, very important to Kiss because you know we do have to kind of tie this in somewhere to Kiss because our fans of the show are. Now, I don't know because I wasn't there, and I hate reading stuff off of Wikipedia. I was just trying to find something. It said. And I don't know if this is true. You were there. Was it? It said it didn't go smoothly, and I find that hard to believe because the record, that record, sonically, musically, that's you guys are just firing on all cylinders in the studio. Don't get me wrong; I love Energized. I love the earlier record, but this one, it's like it, you can tell you guys had the budget you didn't have before after the success of the live record, and boom, man. That that record is. I'll, I'll I'll tell you about it. We um we rented the Woolworth Mansion out here on Long Island. It was a huge building. It was open. had the it had a an organ in there, the biggest like organ ever in in a private home. We rented the RCA mobile unit, and at the time, Eddie Kramer was asked to produce the record, and. Um, you're right. We we did have issues with him. Um, I certainly did. Um, he would. What one thing I found offensive about the man was that he would berate his engineers for no reason. He would turn up late, and they would uh, be ready to go. It was more. It was more important for him to, to walk his dog or take pictures. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the engineers actually did the the stuff, and in fact the band ended up mixing the record. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, we came back, um, I think it was actually on Stone Brew. Um, he'd taken the the tom, the rack toms and one of the bass drums, he'd mixed them down onto two tracks. And I said, well, what, ha- what happened was, I said, uh, let me work on the, the rack tom a little bit. And he said, well, I've mixed it down. And I said, well, when did you do that? He said, well, we, I did that a while ago. I said, well, maybe you should have told me. I mm-hmm. I, I, I found him rude, uh, arrogant to the nth degree. And any other producer that I've worked with, and I've worked with a lot, I've always had a great relationship. You, uh, uh, an, um, a producer is like the fifth hat, somebody who joins you. 
But having said that, the record turned out great anyway. Um, that was the only person I've ever worked with that I, I didn't personally have a good time with. And in fact, our manager at the time fired him and reduced his points. But now you know, don't you? I do. Now I'm, I'm happy that, uh, you know, I, I was surprised because that record did really well for you guys. And yeah. as just as a fan, I love the way that record sounds. I mean, it's the guitar is playing. Like, well, number one, not just the playing, the tones, both Dave and Rod, just, uh, you know, Midnight Madness. Oh, my God. You know, I imagine. So that's. Uh, in fact, we keep talking about playing that. That was um, that one I struggled on because it's like you know a sixteenth note ride, and mm -hmm. uh, and when you're playing really fast, you know tight stuff like that, everybody has to be in there. And I think you know when when you're writing you know new material and especially when it's like really intense because it is very you know the right hand is very fast and the bass and the bass guitar, everybody has to be on the same page, and it's sometimes until you've got really familiar with the song, it can be a struggle. And uh, that, out of all the records, or actually all the songs on that, that was the one that we actually took probably like, um, uh, you know, we would play it like two or three times. If you have to play a song more than three times in the studio, stop doing it and come back to it another day. I learned that from working with uh, Bernard Pretty Purdy, one of my mm. drumming. Oh I've my actually, God! Yes, I actually got to play with him one time. Uh, sat side by side, and we did uh, three songs together. Um, just for just for our audience, people, because if you're a drummer, even that shuffle, that you know, the John Bonham thing in "Fool in the Rain," that's pretty. That's exact. That that guy is the shuffle king. Purdy is. There's him and everybody else when it comes to that. It's insane how great that guy is. Uh, he's uh, he's also a beautiful human being, uh, not only like a fantastic drummer. Oh, I um, watch his videos all the time. I love him. He. Uh, what happened was Dave and I, we were in the city doing the Energized album uh, with, um, who was our producer, Tom Dawes, uh, in New York, in Manhattan. And... Uh, We'd, uh, I don't think we were actually in the studio at this time. And Dave and I went up to his apartment and, and we're hanging out with Tom. Um, you know, you want to get to know your producer. We, you know, he's a really bright and a great musician and producer. Anyway, uh, the one thing I remember from it is that he pulled a bottle of frozen vodka out of the freezer and poured me a couple of shots. Dave was far too fine a person to sort of guzzle vodka, but I said, I'll have some. Anyway, we became friends. We're talking about music and Bernard Purdy's name came up because, you know, he played with Aretha and so many great R&B bands and, and songs. And uh, I think Lonesome Dave was a closet drummer, actually. And uh, we're talking and Tom Dawes, our producer, says, well, I know Bernard Purdy. Um, and me and Dave went, what? He said, yeah, well, I use him all the time on sessions. So Dave and I look at each other and say, can he can he come and play with us? He said, no problem. What you gotta do is pay him. So we we had two or three songs that um we were still working on. We had the arrangements down, we hadn't recorded them yet. Uh, but we knew we had the arrangements tight. And so 
we set up in the studio. The band was in a semicircle facing the drums. Bernard Purdy had a rental kit. He had his own cymbal, hi-hat cymbals and pedals, and they had a rental kit for him. And I was already set up because we'd been recording. Um, I knew the arrangements, but our uh, producer wrote out the charts for Bernard, and um, I'm sitting next to one of my heroes. I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to be cool. You know, I'm not making any noise. <laughs> I, you know, I, initially, I sort of helped put the legs on the tom-toms before he got there, so it had a, a facsimile of a drum kit instead of, like, a pile. And uh, he comes in, he starts setting up stuff, and... Um, and they do some, and you know, I'd already got my drum sounds, and Sir Bernard's like, you know, banging the drums for the uh, engineers. Our producer comes out, Tom, and uh, he puts his wallet on Bernard's snare drum, and Bernard looks at me and says, "What's that?" And Tom says, "Well, it's ringing." And Bernard says, "They're drums; they're meant to ring." <laughs> <laughs> so after this. Um, I'm still, you know, trying to be cool because, you know, and I don't want to bother him, but it's like he's he's such a cool guy. He's, he's, he's got this beautiful personality. He looks you right in the eye and he's like, he sparkles. He's, he look, and anyway, he says, he said, uh, look, this is, this is how it'll go. Uh, we'll play the song the first time to get the arrangement right. We'll play it a second time to get the song right. And we'll play it a third time to have fun with it. And I I took that with me forever. Because if you're in the studio working and you've got to play a song and you, you're supposed to have the arrangement down, if you've got to play the song more than three times, go somewhere else. Go and do start another song. And uh, I, had a, I had a blast playing with one of my heroes. It, and it's fun when you're playing with another drummer side by side and the band's in front of you, everything was done live. So it was, uh, it was Chateau really... has that feel with the, um, I love that tune. Well, you know, I've, I've played in blues bands since when I was, I mean, that's what I listened to when I, when I grew up, you know, I mean, I listened to, well, I say blues bands, but probably my favorite drummer was probably old Palmo, like with, uh, little Richard, that early stuff. That's what I listened to. Um, Freddie Bilo, you know, from Chess Records, all the chess stuff. I mean, I would sit down and just play to those records. Uh, Francis Clay, who was uh, Muddy Waters' drummer for a long time. That's, that's, and if, you know, uh, if you can't play a shuffle, I mean, I can't play like Bernard Purdy, but I can play a shuffle. And I, I know where two and four is, and I know how, you know, so, um, one of the things I learned when I was growing up, especially when you're listening to people like Fred Bilo, there's always a swing, even if it's like, you know, like a 4-4, four, four, there's always that swing to it. I think probably because they grew up, you know, in a jazz environment playing mm -hmm. jazz. Even when it's sort of straight 4-4, four, four, there's always a bit of a, you've got that, you know. I And I was also talking to another drummer the other day, because Charlie Watts comes up from time to time. Mm. I, I love the way Charlie played with oh, the stuff. Oh, my God. He was, he was just this. I never met him, but um, I watched him a number of times, and uh, uh, and I've read all sorts of stuff about Charlie. But I loved the way he played in the band. Him and Keith, like, yeah, mixed the lead the lead singer and like the front man, and you know, a great one at that. But Mick, 
Keith and Charlie were like the heart and soul of that band. By far, by far. And one of the things that, you know, Charlie plays, you know, when you're playing a 4-4 ride, yeah. set up, you know, and the snare drum is playing there. I think I got the feeling, or the, the way I looked at it, was that it was probably because Charlie grew up playing a lot of jazz, which is it's a three-note ride. And, like, maybe he just, like, when it's and it, there was very few, like, jazz songs that he would have been learning like in the you know late 50s and 60s or even throughout the 50s it was always a swing and so when he started playing rock and roll it would be three beats for this and then the snare drum but i don't know i couldn't talk to charlie and nobody else can but i love the way he played and also he was very unique and it's hard i think for any musician uh, but drummers also like to stand out when there's um it's a crowded room out there there's a lot of great great drummers um i play in a band so i, I don't i don't put myself in that category i i play with the band i play for the music i play for oh, the you're song. in that category trust me i talk to enough drummers your name always comes up with high praise oh. including including and i i know he won't mind me saying this the current drummer in kiss is a, is a fan of yours as well we've uh whenever we talk about drummers your name has come up and we absolutely love your playing i called him one time great drummer actually really good drummer fantastic drummer um uh good for him <laughs> a great band i mean they're, i mean they're still going aren't they <laughs> yes, yes. They, yes they are they're they're, they're supposedly on the last 25 shows and then they are done touring nah <laughs> <laughs> now yeah. you you weren't in savoy brown when they when they played with kiss in mid seven you were you were already at it because you were you were you weren't in you weren't in savoy brown long correct uh i did the first five out five albums i joined in 67 i left at the end of 1970 beginning of 71 i did some shows with kiss you uh, did I, yeah with Falcat. um oh, I, wow, remember, I did not know that yeah in the midwest somewhere and um was it smoke or whatever they were using on the stage but they were terrific oh yeah uh, and i remember my brother colin who was my road manager our road manager at the time he talked to a couple of guys in the band um you know because he'd be setting stuff up no they were great um I've met Peter, Peter, Chris a number of times and talked to him. Um, I've met, uh, I've met a couple of them. Um, so great band. I mean, that longevity, you know, that's not a, that's a hard thing to get. You know, you've got to, they have a, they have a stamp that's just theirs. Kiss is like a totally unique, uh, what are they? What do you call? I mean, they are a band, of course, but it's just like, a great rock and roll band. I always tell people, I said, put, you know, take the makeup outside. Those guys play great four on the floor, hard rock and roll. And, yeah. and you know, it, speaking of Kiss, I wanted to tie this in as well with with your own career. Um, right after um, Boogie Motel, because both both Foghead and Kiss had something in common. The early 80s were tough. And I know that you guys 
Foghead, again, as a fan, I was following along. I was buying Foghead albums just along with, along with Kiss albums. You guys kind of changed your tone a little bit and kind of maybe, and here's what I thought was, I thought was odd as a fan. And I'm just being honest as a fan. You guys really started toning down the hard rock of say, you know, Stone Blue and, and the live record and started, I don't, I don't know if it was a more of a commercial, I don't even know what I would categorize it in. And, and by a couple records in you, Dave wasn't even writing the songs, if I remember correctly, looking at the. There was one album where uh, we did um, because well, Rob Price had left the band and I think Dave was struggling to put stuff together. Yes. um, You know, as a band, when you uh, what have we done? This this new album is our 17th studio album. You know, you've uh, you there's you can't stay in one spot. Yeah, I mean. Other than three chords, which is a good idea. I mean, <laughs> anything other than three chords has to be viewed with a certain amount of suspicion, I believe. But having said that, yeah, I think Dave struggled um, with with what he was doing. But also as a as a writer, I think you you try to ch- you know you try to open up what how you want to write, what you want to write, stories, uh, tales that changes. And you're right, it did change and. Um, in 1984, Dave left the band and moved back to England. I think, which was kind of strange because he didn't tell the rest of the band he was leaving. He didn't tell me either. Uh, my, it was my wife. We came up to her and said, uh, you know, Dave's leaving. Uh, Linda, his wife, is sending all the stuff back to America, to England. I went, no, it's kind of weird, but it was time for a change. Dave, I think, wanted a change. Um, we recorded six songs with um eddie offered um a producer i think he produced a number of bands we did it down at his he had a theater down in atlanta and our manager took those six songs and tried to get a a record deal for us and we didn't get one so i think that's one of the reasons dave moved back to england he wanted to be become a writer but apparently that didn't work out very well but um dave was um multi-talented and his taste in music spanned everything rock blues jazz country gospel hillbilly uh you name it he was really a blues fan and a rock and roll fan that was his that's where he started as as did i but his taste in music and i think as you grow older you you learn and hear other stuff you hear the the finer points of music for one for a better term you hear stuff you didn't hear when you were 16 or 17 when you're just you know trying to grasp your instrument and trying to figure out who and how you want to be and and it's not until you get older that you start hearing all this other stuff and go wow let's listen to that um you know it's i think it's a question of um changing growing um you know and i think i don't think music should stay the same um you know, new bands are coming out now. I, I mean, there's stuff that I go, what is that? And then <laughs> other stuff, and I go, that's really cool. But music shouldn't stay the same. It should change. I think every generation has music that is theirs. You know, I think I'm fortunate that uh, growing up in the 60s and the 70s or playing music in the 60s and 70s and early 80s, that was a very 
rich and fruitful time for music, you know, rock and roll music for want for a better term. Uh, but um, I don't know. It's only, it's only rock and roll, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, before, before, before I forget this, this here album to me means a, you guys nailed it on uh, Return of the Boogie. I, I have loaned so much so that the, this crap, I have loaned this to so many people because at the time it was like, fuck, Heather. I'm like, oh no, oh no, you have to have this. Right. This record is so effing good. How did Jump That Train, to me, this is a total travesty. How is that not on every classic rock station? I'm telling you, everybody out there, it's talking about one the drums, thing today. They're go, talking about the drums, aren't you? What's that? They're talking about the drums. Oh, just just everything about this. Oh, Mark. Oh, oh, Mark. <laughs> He'll be back. Mark, Mark underst- as we said earlier, Mark understands nothing about technology. Oh well, he's a luddite like me. He's a drummer. Yeah, so he hit he hit the wrong button, hung up on everybody, and now I he's scrambling. A, a fabulous human being. And he plays drums. Oh, here he comes! Here he comes! Hold on, sit tight, and boom! There we go, Mark. Ah, uh, Mark, there you are. Right, the wrong maybe button, some, didn't you? Is there some technical college? Train. Like some no 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 what 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 happened is my wife for some synced my phone up to this so if I get a phone call that dies that's like off. saying the cat farted no no Come no on. I have to get I have to get this thing taken <laughs> I it's, it just if if I get a phone call the iPad dies it goes, Ro- it goes Ro- Roger Roger quick little story we had uh, Rob Halford on as a guest a couple <laughs> years ago. And okay. Mark was having technical problems. Ago. Then he, yeah, Mark, Mark was having technical problems yeah. with his internet connection, and out of the blue, Rob goes, "Mark, I need to buy you a new router, don't I?" <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, Roger will appreciate this. We're drummers. I don't need to know about the technical stuff. I just want to play the drums. Okay, so, well. In a perfect world, I'm sure that's true. But being <laughs> that you're a part of the podcast, that's you do true. need to know. Right, and you want to interview people like Roger, you need to learn. Uh, uh, let me well, get back to, to this record. Well, yes, this go, record is so on. damn incredible. It's yeah. not funny. Um, let, actually, uh, let me tell you a little funny you should bring this up. But um, we own the rights to, to that. And uh, was, uh, Linda, a manager, and I am probably going to re-release that sometime in the future. Right now, we're kind of busy, but we've talked about it. And I agree with you. There, there was some really good stuff on there. Now, again, um, Rod actually struggled, I think, a little bit uh, with playing. Dave was was on fire. He was he had a whole bunch of good ideas. And once again, we were actually shared a house out in uh, L.A. where we recorded it. Nick Jameson actually was the was the engineer and producer on that record? Producer, yeah. Um, I I thought there were some terrific songs and had some great grooves on it, uh, funny lyrics. Um, that that was, uh, yeah, it was it was really good to get the original band back together. Rod Price actually struggled with some of his playing, but I think in the end, um, it was a really good record, and I and I was really happy with the drum sounds as well. I what I wanted to ask you. 
because most people most people know the live version of I Just Want to Make Love to You and even the studio, which I still want to ask you about. But the acoustic version on this record will blow your mind if you've never heard it before. That that version of I Just Want to Make Love to You acoustic is the sexiest, coolest song you will ever hear. Whose idea was it to do that? Well, the actual recordings that we did for the main main record, we did out in um, Stag Studios in L.A. with Nick Jamison producing. The acoustic version was done in New York City with our longtime friend and producer, Tom Dawes. Now, we, the band talked about doing an acoustic version, and uh, Tom Dawes brought in some uh, percussionists to play with me. I was playing brushes. And I had, you know, like just my uh, rack tom, floor tom, brushes, a couple of cymbals. But I, I also had sticks as well and timpani uh, stuff. And we did. But it was um, it was a lot of fun doing it. Yes. Thank you for noticing that. You can it's- you can tell. And I, I tell you what, for for anybody who's a classic rock fan, you may know the song Take Me to the River, which is an old blue song. But- Talking Heads made it really popular. You guys, again, you add that fog hat acoustic. You guys do the song on this record, as you know, but I'm trying to tell people who don't. That acoustic version to me blows away all I'm ever that I'm telling you, this record is so great. And and I don't know how it didn't hit. It was just one of those records. Again, you got the the bombast of Jump That Train and then you go to the acoustic version, you know, of of, 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 I just want to make love to you. And just everything in between this record is so magical. And it just. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, because I'm you guys toured. I want to say I saw you at Pine Knob on that uh, on that tour. Um, it was a very successful tour. It was awesome, but I was like, it didn't. You know, and I also, you know, also too. You know, I, I think it's wonderful. Like right now, you're putting out new music. The Stones are putting out new music, and you're within a few years of Mick and you know and Keith Sage and stuff. And I'm like, I think. That's awesome, man. That's see, that's my blueprint. I, I want to do what you're doing. It, you're never too old. Yes, that is it. That is it, baby. Uh, that is. We've actually talked about it. We're, we're going to re, re-release that on vinyl and probably CD uh, sometime in the future. As soon as our manager has some room to breathe, she's in charge. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's all about the music. The Stones... Uh, it's interesting, you know, I guess when you have that degree of success, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine. I mean, the Rolling Stones, it's like, they are like, uh, I mean, has anybody ever done what they've done? Probably not. But um, but the fact that they're still carrying on and, and don't look like they're stopping. Um, and uh, I'm going to roll till I'm old and roll till I drop. It's like, I know uh, that, Larry. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, um, our bass player is what? Um, he's Rodney O'Quinn is now 56, 57, somewhere around there. Um, great bass player. Um, played with a bunch of bands, um, or, or led bands, uh, with, had managed people. So he's like a road warrior. Um, Scott Holt, uh, lead singer and lead guitar player as well. I mean, toured with Buddy Guy. I mean, he's steeped in rock in the blues. And uh, Brian Bassett, um, 
as you know, he started with Wild Cherry, play that funky music, White Boy, um, back in what was that, 74. Um, he's also produced a whole bunch of like blues records, uh, King Snake Studios down in uh, Florida. Um, so I'm, I'm surrounded by people that love to play and like they're road warriors. So for me, you know, yeah, it's, I guess I'm the leader of the band, but I have a band. I play in a band. I have three other musicians that I play with that give a shit about what they do. They care about playing. It's that hour and a half we get each night is the most important thing in our day. The rest of the time is hurry up and wait, you know, flying trains, planes, and automobiles. Uh, but the hour and a half we get, that's what we do. That's where you, uh, like, you know, before I go on stage, every time we have a little thing where we hold each other and like, whatever. And, and I always, I still get like chills before I walk out on stage, whether it's, 500 or 5,000 or 50,000. But as soon as I count one, it's like, I'm fine. I'm in the pocket and I'm going to rock it. It's, uh, I love what I do. I'm one of those fortunate people in this world who gets to earn a decent living at something I love doing. So, Roger, let me, let me ask you. I mean, when, when, when Fog at first got together, did you have any imagination that all these decades later you could still be doing this that the demand would still be there that the fans would be like we want shows we want new albums i mean this is this is a phenomena that classic rock bands are facing for the very first time of like wow we thought we might be doing this for 10 years and here we are 50 years later, and the demand hasn't let up. I don't think I ever thought in the long term. It was always the moment, um, you know, like with the first when Polcat formed after leaving Savoy Brown. Um, you know, I was the one who, you know, booked the rehearsal rooms. I was the one who advertised in the Melody Maker for a guitar player. Um, I was the one who introduced our manager, our first manager, Tony Otida, he was, we were friends from the Savoy Brown era. He, uh, he was uh, working on as a, promoting a beer company with some dates that we did over here with the nice and um, another English band. And I, we became friends. Um, I came out to Long Island, went fishing, stayed at his parents' house, but I was the one who would do that. Once everything was rolling, I'd much rather let other people like run it. I don't want to micromanage stuff. I want to play drums. And and after uh, Dave passed, then I had to sort of take up the helm again. And not saying not saying that Dave did everything, but he was the main. He was a singer, the main songwriter, and like everybody has their what they do. And um, then I had to sort of pick it up again. Um, you know find somebody somewhere to record um we had brian bassett he's our ace in the hole so uh he's our engineer and our producer but it's always like about making now that we're rocking again and we've we've made four studio albums since they passed three or four live albums it's like now we have management we have you 
Mike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mr. Brainbold. Yeah. Well, uh, Roger, I'd like to know though, as you as you get older, and you can continue to do this and have the success, like Michael was mentioning, do you think personally that it's harder for someone like yourself, who is a drummer, to play longer than, say, a guitar player? Or because I just it seems like, you know, there's a lot of people who say, well, you know, my joints, my arms, all these things come into play. What's your take on that? Well, we're all individuals. I mean, some of us are given certain skills uh, when we're born. But, you know, the way you develop as as a musician is every individual. I, I've had work done on every piece of my body, my hands all through here, through here, through here, both shoulders, um, feet, my right knee. But I, I try and stay. I try and stay fit. Um, I love to eat. I drink wine. Tape. I've been bandaged all over the place. Uh, but I take care of myself. And also, there's a great deal of new technology uh, with doctors, um, sports medicine, stuff yeah. like that. Um, That's interesting. Platelet-rich plasma, um, stem cell therapy. And fortunately, my manager believes that I should uh, indulge myself because your uh, insurance company doesn't, they don't cover it. You know, they'd rather give you a pill or like, uh, you know, the kill the pain, whereas uh, what we do is tr- we try to sort of mend what's damaged. We, you know, you can't play in drums for like well, over 60 years. I mean, there's and it's not like I've taken a break from it. I, I play regularly and it's, uh, you know, I hit the drums. I play drums in a rock and roll band. So there's there is that. But um I've made some accommodations. I can play both ways, like traditional grip, or I can play chimpani grip. Um, and uh, I've played in pain, played through pain. At the moment, everything is going really, really well. The, the stuff I've, is working. And I think when the time comes when I can't play because I can't play to what I consider my ability, you see, I love doing it. That's why I do it. I enjoy it. It's right. It's fucking fun playing drums, kicking shit, and banging. I bet. Stuff. Hell yeah, fun. Uh, and I, and I play in a great band. And like, there's no aggro. Everybody has a good time. Also, um, we don't do any any drugs or drink before we play. Um, but afterwards, we'll uh, we'll have some wine and stuff and. They're happy drunks as well. <laughs> Which is always it, good because right, a mean right. drunk is not good. Exactly. No. Oh, I have no. two, two, two more questions just for me, Mike yeah. Geek. These are, these are Mike Geek questions. Um, the others I've weren't? Been a, I, I've been a fan of, of Charlie Hoon's um, since he was in Detroit bands here, and then he played with Ted and Victory and stuff. Um, did, did he just want to retire? I mean, because I, I'm certainly not looking for dirt or anything. But I thought Charlie fit in really good with you guys. Um, just wanted to get off the road. Charlie did fit in good. In fact, when he joined us, there was there was nobody else that I, that I had on my radar at the time after Lonesome Dave passed. 
I'd done a show with Charlie when he was singing for Humble Pie. Jerry Shirley was still in the band, and but they didn't sound that good. But then, as soon as Dave and I uh, we we uh, we did a show together in somewhere in Ohio, and uh, Dave and I were down by the stage, and we said, "Well, let's see what this guy's got under his fingernails singing our mate uh, Stevie Stevie songs." And as soon as Charlie started singing, Dave and I looked at each other and went, "Whoa, you mm. know." Somebody singing Stevie Marriott songs. Yeah, uh, Charlie had a great set of pipes and it was a really good guitar player. Um, what he, what happened was, um, I think he had some issues like with doing more than two two shows in a row. Um, I know he had some problems with his hips. He was an avid skier. Um, the weird thing about it was, um, and he texted our manager and said uh, three days before we were having rehearsals that he wouldn't be coming from rehearsals. He's retiring. He hasn't called me since then. And that's pretty weird when you're in a band for like 20 odd years. But that was, that was, that's Charlie. Um, I wish him well. And uh, I've said this a number of times. If you're out there, Charlie, give me a call. I think he met Brian one time to hand out. Charlie had one of our Foghat banners. But um, I don't think when you decide you're going to retire, I don't know how I would how I would act, who I would say it to. Um, I can't imagine not playing drums, not playing in a band. I, I don't really want to think about that. I don't think about it. Uh, that's why I stay on top of my uh, uh, what I do. Uh, I, I practice. I have pads here. I have uh, an electronic drum kit upstairs. I live in a very small house. It's a houseboat, actually. And uh, uh, I even have a, a, a pedal and a pad in the bedroom. That's disgusting. <laughs> uh, I have a shed out in the garden where I have my regular drums set up. I use DW drums and pasty cymbals, by the way great stuff but um so and i'm encouraged like you know uh, like i said my manager my wife and my girlfriend are great they they encourage me all that stuff and um so i think you know when you have a support unit like that uh, and um our crew we have a great crew too and and i play in this band that is like there's some of the best people and the best players i've ever worked with so I'm a happy bastard. <laughs> uh, last last question. When you did back in the 80s, I was always curious about that Ludwig, uh, that Ludwig poster with everybody in the, in the, how did that come up? I always thought that was just a great, great, what that was for anybody who doesn't know Ludwig drums. And I still play Ludwig. Ludwig drums used to have this huge poster and it would have all the drummers currently, any and everybody. And you were featured predominantly in that, Roger. How did that come about? Well, um, you and know, where I did just, they fly you to? Where was there was that picture taken at? Do you remember? Well, um, I I just did uh, an interview with Bobby Rondinelli. We've been uh, yes, uh, Rainbow's drumming. Uh, uh, the audition uh, for uh, Kiss too, another thing. And and Bobby is uh, Bobby and I have been friends ever since I came to Long Island. In fact, he stood in. For me for like in about 14 shows or something when i broke my back i broke my back twice 
And so I, but rather than cancel the shows, Bobby stood in for me. And so uh, I love him for that. It's, um, what were we talking about? The the poster, the, the Ludwig. Lud, Lud, the Ludwig poster. I know, I know that. Um, Ludwig are like, that was the sound of like the 50s, 60s and 70s. I mean, I remember my first drum kit was a premier drum kit. But everybody wanted Ludwig. That Everybody played Ludwig. Everybody. anybody, Everybody who was anybody played Ludwig drums. And um, when I first came over here with uh, Savoy Brown, that they would give you a drum kit. They gave me a Ludwig drum kit. And I went, I've made it. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill Ludwig, um, I'm still very good friends with Bill. Um, he was absolutely fantastic as far as like, supporting the people that played his instruments and uh yeah the uh the farm um of drummers was it um uh stable of drummers that was it that we was were, it. it was actually at the factory in chicago the old factory in chicago we'd meet there we'd everybody would like be hanging from the rafters with the yes. drum stuff, and everybody would be banging and clanging on stuff it was it was a blast. Can you imagine 50 or 60 drummers together? And it all was, great drummers, too. It was, it was it was a riot. And then we would go out to the stable out just outside of uh, the city with pictures, you know, have your pictures taken. Quick story. Uh, of course, Ginger was there. Um, I, I always had, always got on really well with Ginger. Ginger was like uh, this... Really, I thought Ginger was really cool. He was funny. So you're the one. You're the one person who got along uh, with Ginger Baker. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I met him when I was 17, and he was kind to me then. I played on a stage. I opened up for him. And uh, uh, anyway, we're sitting there. Everybody's like, you know, getting in position. The photographer is saying, doing this. Then I look out across about 30 yards, 40 yards, 30 yards from us. There's Ginger standing there looking at us. I mean, I knew who the man was and had an idea of what he's capable of. And all of a sudden, he starts running as fast as he can at you. Now, Ginger was like pretty athletic, actually. And all of a sudden, I looked down about 10 yards from where we are. There's this big beer can <laughs> sitting there. And I'm going, something's going on here. So I start to move. And as Ginger's go, getting near it, he kicks this can, beer can. Of course, it bursts open as soon as he kicks it. It's spinning at us like this. I was already out of the picture by this time. I knew something was going on. He, I don't think anybody got seriously hurt. They got wet, beer, and who's going to say to Ginger? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Ginger comes up to me. You may have to bleep some of this out. And he says, what about that? I kicked the fucking thing with a fucking left foot. A fucking lefty. Did you see it fucking go? It was... <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Ginger Baker changed the face of how rock and roll drummers For play sure. uh, music and, and approach the kit. Um, he rewrote the book. And um, uh, I, I mean, I've seen... Beware of Mr. Baker, and uh, I've seen the dark side of Ginger, but 
um, anytime I met him and as a as a musician as a player um he was he was something else and uh i'm i'm really looking forward to one day seeing his son kofi uh have you no i I, no i'm looking forward to that because um that would be interesting to see uh i would like to see that uh uh, those songs are like cream cream and the stuff that ginger did i mean that's like uh, rewriting the book like him and bonzo they were they were uh you know i can't be like that bonzo was like this totally unique led zeppelin wouldn't have been led zeppelin without bonzo and they're oh, not hell no. so um those two drummers themselves like rewrote the book as far as rock and roll drumming goes R- roger uh, before we wrap go ahead go ahead now ask me immortals you know, we keep time and we try to sort of push the envelope and like, you know, lay down the road for the everybody to sort of play on and, uh, you know, sit in the pocket and rock it. But those two uh, changed the face of playing drums in music. They sure did. Um, Roger, as we wrap up here, let's remind everybody, Sonic Mojo, the new Fog Hat album. Okay, okay. You- <laughs> Is is this is this the purple vinyl? Oh, that's beautiful. I love the logo. I always have. It's just so cool. It's, it sounds good too. Um, and the CD as well. The CD has one more song on it because it would have meant closing up the grooves on the vinyl, and we didn't want to do that. We, it was uh, an old BB King blues song. She's dynamite. But that's you can get that on the CD. And uh, the album comes out next month, November, correct? 10th, yeah. November 10th. And you all the links for ordering CDs, vinyl, autographed, merchandise, (laughs) T-shirts, foghat.com, correct? Correct. And uh, who's, um, uh, let's see, uh, our distributor is down in Memphis. Collector, selecto, selecto hits, selecto hits. Brilliant people. Uh, hold on, related to Sun Records. Yep. Did you know that? Uh, I mean, that's cool. Get a lot better than that. Selecto hits. Um, they were, and son and nephew. Yeah. I mean, so uh, and of course, Michael and Linda has helped assemble a whole army of people helping us out on this record. Thank you for all you do. Um, it's actually going to get played. That would be nice. And we're playing three of the tracks on stage as well. So, uh, Well, yeah, I was going to say, you know, Foghat's active out on the road through the end of this year. Dates next year already. And again, all those tour dates, foghat.com. Um, you know, an active band. I mean, that's how great is that? Still touring, still recording new music. Yeah, and and I, I just had to give a shout out to our our fans. They're the best. They turn up and they've supported us. The fact you know that we've lost three quarters of the band, um, you know, it's. Uh, but our job is to carry on and play music. Um, and like I said earlier, I'm going to roll till I'm old and rock till I drop. He is old. He's really old. <laughs> but uh, but he 
up. He cleans up nicely. <laughs> he cleans up nicely. Roger, this has been amazing. I, I know Mark has been thrilled to pick Thank your brain <laughs> on everything Fog Hat related. Um, I mean, you tell stories like nobody. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Stories. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, it's a really good life. Um, it's not for everybody, but um, how's the song go? I know it's only rock and roll, but I like, I like it. it. I like it. Yes, I do. <laughs> Roger, thank you so much for sitting Thanks, down with us Appreciate and it. sharing everything Fogat related. Thank you. I've had a blast. Um, I'm going to uh, order dinner out tonight. I think we're good. Should we have sushi, Linda? Should we have sushi? <laughs> Linda's at the computer. She's working. Yeah, she's, she's always got, working. Yeah. No work is working. Uh, but we'll sit down, have some sushi, and have some white wine or something. Perfect. Sounds good. great, Roger. You All guys, right. you guys have a great evening, and we will be in touch. Have done. Thank you Thank again. You so Thank, much, you. Roger. Thank you, Mark. Fanboy. Was that a good? Was that a good fanboy? I, I got to tell you, just watching it seemed pretty fanboy. Did, did I freeze up at all? I hope not. No, no, not at all. Not not once we got you to restart your iPad to get on, dude. That freaked me out. I turned it on. It's like you have. It says to. Well, I sent you the pictures of what it said. So yeah. I go to my settings and I'm like, "Where is this? What's this?" I all told about? I told Tommy Mark is having a heart attack right oh now. Oh my god! I'm like, get on I with Roger this- Earl. If I miss this fucking chance to talk to Roger Earl when he's been one of my favorite fucking drummers, you know, it was, I tell you what, what a nice guy, you know, and, oh, and super nice, you, great stories, great memory. He's, he's a top notch drummer and, and guys, and you, even if you're not a drummer, you, you've probably heard other drummers talk about the Purdy shuffle. That's who he was talking about, Bernard Purdy. He's a drummer. And that the drum part in Fool in the Rain, that drum part is something that is just really, really, that feel is just a motherfucker to get. And Bonzo pulls it off perfect, but that's the Purdy Shuffle. And that's who, and if you ever get a chance, maybe I'll even throw it on, on, on our site. What he was saying, Mr. Purdy is when he's playing drums, he is just so exuberant in this smile. Even if you don't, matter of fact, I, 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 you know, obviously this was years ago. On my Facebook one day, I just put a couple Bernard Purdy videos and I'm like, even if you know nothing about drums, watch this guy. Because not only is he doing stuff that's technically brilliant, he's doing it with exuberance and a smile and a and you know, it was great to hear, you know, you know, because Rod is one of my idols. It was nice to hear him talk. I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, that guy is just insane. You know, like you said, he played with Aretha and, you know, like the greatest of the great. And everybody from John Bonham on down, you know, worshipped that, you know, the Purdy Shuffle. And uh, it was just great as a drummer, you know, to hear somebody I look up to who feels the same way about, you know, a legend like that. So I thought that was, you know, on so many things too. I, I love know, knowing that, you know, Eddie Kramer, they had problems with them. And I don't know if you guys know this, Eddie Kramer was thrown out of the highway to hell sessions too. And that was right around the same time. Angus and Malcolm, he started, I don't know if you know that, that original producer was, was Eddie Kramer. And he didn't last Malcolm and Angus got pissed. And then they got, uh, you know, and then, 
uh, Mutt Lang and, you know, oh boy, look what happened after that. So, but uh, wow, you know, two, two big bands at the time. Keep in mind, that's one thing for you younger fans. You may go, oh, I only know one or two Fogat songs. Guys, they were playing here in Detroit. They're headlining Cobo Hall and Pine Knob back in the day. And they were a big band. Oh, they Fogat Fog has sold millions of albums. Yeah. I mean, sl Slow Ride. I mean, Could you know, as, as, as Roger was alert from the 70s. Was alert, well, yes, he was alluding to. You can hear slow ride in commercials, TV commercials, video games. Days and um, Confused, the movie. Every yep, time I hear it, that's yes. what I think of. Yep. You know, yep. I showed I sent somebody recently, a friend of my, a friend of mine. I said, This this is something that almost would blow a younger fan's mind right now, because they probably would know very little. There was I forgot what what concert it was an auditorium you know a, a, it was a ten thousand seat or whatever and it was from 1976 i don't remember the city but they were showing the bands playing there. kiss was one kiss was in ario speedwagon was opening like the next night was black oak arkansas a band that i love but god they're they're like beyond outside even most people couldn't even name a song of this i again that's a band i really dig and tommy aldridge was the drummer um and then aerosmith and then uh i think the next night was bloister cult who you know now are just playing theaters but i'm like at one time and i believe it was 1976 all these bands were equals in the yep touring thing and now you know, Aerosmith and Kiss are up here. You know, the other bands are, are down here. But at, at one time, that's that's what it, I mean. And also, too, kids back then in the 70s, they didn't have, you know, cell phones. And, and I know I know that you know that. But you got to be reminded sometimes when you think back on that, that that's what kids did. They went to concerts and, yeah. and the tickets, the tickets were cheap. I mean, even back in 1976. You know, a five dollar ticket still wasn't it wasn't equivalent to paying a hundred dollars like we are now. I remember back in the eighties, because I wanted to sit super close on the deep purple um reunion tour, the, the perfect strangers. I I remember paying thirty-five dollars for fifth row and thinking, because the tickets were twelve bucks, I paid over double and I'm like, oh my God, this but I wanted to sit right up front and I ended up sitting right up front, but $35 in 1984 was insane for a concert ticket. That just didn't happen, you know? And again, that's what I paid for a scalper ticket. Now that's fucking parking. <laughs> no, it's... I know. I, I, re I remember telling people, it's like I one of my first kiss concerts, I brought $60 to buy merchandise. And I think I left with, a tour book, a hat, uh, a patch, a T-shirt, and a sweatshirt for sixty bucks. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and two something I think you'll find interesting is the first Kiss show coming up this week, which will have happened by the time you guys see this, is in Cincinnati, which is a replica of the Met Center. Really. really? I yep. did not know that. So I will take some photos and send them to you. Even the seats, the same colored? Yep. Everything, I guess. Wow, very yes. cool. Kyle was telling guys, me that, so guys. we'll see. 
You read that? No, it's no. too close. Read Liz, it. What's it say? Food ready. She made all me right. That 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 that's our that's our cue, people. Yeah, but we have um, homework. What's homework? So homework. I mean, it's got to be Fogat related homework. Have you seen Fogat? Do you have Fogat albums? Um, Here's your you homework for the city. What, what? What? Yeah. What? What? What's your favorite Foghat tune? Go Did and Mark listen to Jump That Train, and then listen to the acoustic version of "I Just Want to Make Love to You," and be prepared to be blown away. And That's and awesome. check out check out Foghat's YouTube channel. You can the first two singles. Well, by the time you're watching this, the third single will be out. First three singles, the videos are up on, on Foghat's YouTube channel. What do you think of the new Foghat? I mean, isn't it great that that bands with history like Foghat are still, Gene and Paul, listen, are still recording new music? Still. Fans are loving it. Fans are loving it. I think it's amazing that bands still record decades later. It's in their blood. They got to record. Yeah. Cheap trick. Um, And it's meatloaf time. It's meatloaf. We got to feed Mark. But wait a second, though. So they're going to be in Laughlin, Nevada on the 28th of October. But Gary, Indiana's coming up. Oshkosh, Wisconsin. New York, New York. uh, San Juan Capistrano. Atlantic City, Anna Maria. Oh, they're playing Anna Maria Island. Oh, that in was Florida. Awesome. Yeah, um, Alberta, Canada, Washington, Parker, Colorado, California, Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. So, if you guys are interested, there's a very good chance they're going to be coming somewhere near you in the next, yep, you know, four or five months. So get out there. Cool. And yep. All right, everybody. That's it. Show Fog had some love. We'll see everybody next week. We do have a last-minute guest that we booked for next week, which means I don't know when we're going to get to our Bruce Fairburn interview. Eh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it when we get to it. Um, that's it. Three sides of the coin. We're out of here. If you have something to say, leave a voicemail or send us a text message. Call 320-515-VOICES for three sides of the coin. Provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.